0: The spooky south coast tim weisberg along with the silent assassin matt costa and science advisor matt moniz stephanie burke is off this evening eventually we'll get everybody all in here together for a show won't be this week won't be next week i'll be at salem con so we'll have a pre-recorded version of the show Uh, but then maybe the week after that maybe the, the gang will all be here
1: I uh, may you know, in Florida.
0: No, Moni, Moni's, I forgot, is traveling then. So, I don't know, maybe sometime in uh, June of 2018. <laughs> we'll get everybody back together. But we're a busy crew, what can I say? We have a lot of things uh, on the table, and we have a lot on the table for you tonight. We are here to talk about the paranormal, as we are each and every Saturday night. And a little bit later on, we will be joined by some members of the Tennessee Wraith Chasers. You know them as the team behind the hit Destination America program, Ghost Asylum. So uh, a couple of the guys will be calling in to join in. They're on a, on a little break from filming this weekend. Uh, they are working on filming some of the future episodes of Season 2, but the first half of Season 2 debuts tomorrow night on the Destination American Network. So we'll talk to them about that. And uh, we'll let you know the. there's a little bit of a spooky crew connection to that as well. So we'll talk about that. I think we can reveal it. I, I haven't been given official permission. But at this point, pff, whatever. <laughs> it, th- at this point, I'm just going to let everybody know. So we'll do that a little bit later on. Also tonight, we're going to talk about a couple of other topics. Uh, one of the things that we want to discuss, I mentioned this morning on my Saturday morning program, which if you are not listening to Saturdays from 6 to 9 a.m., you really should be because it gets lonely in here when just Greg and I talking to each other. So feel free to tune in and call in on that program as well. But on that one, we don't really focus on paranormal topics. We talk about a variety of different things. And we were discussing today being the anniversary of the assassination of Martin Luther King. And I had laid it out there that if anybody wanted to call in and talk about the impact of Dr. King and uh, and, and what he did for America and, and what he did for his role in history, his historical role in American history. But... Uh, I wanted everybody to kind of leave the conspiracy theories aside during the morning show because I felt like that was more of a time for reverence and remembrance than it was for nitpicking uh, some of these conspiracy theories. But we can do that a little bit later on tonight. Spooky South Coast, of course, part of what we do is we talk about conspiracies. And as I mentioned this morning on the air, every year we talk about the JFK assassination around the time of its anniversary. And every year those end up being one of our most downloaded shows. It's a topic that people want to hear about. It's a, people that top, uh, a topic that people continue to debate to this day. And a lot of folks don't really know some of the stories about the King conspiracy. It's different with the Kennedy assassination. Obviously, the film JFK put it in the forefront of everybody's mind, but there's a lot of stuff out there about the JFK assassination. The RFK assassination, we know the Manchurian candidate connection. Uh, we know the idea of Sirhan Sirhan claiming that he was a patsy and all of this. Uh, very similar to the Lee Harvey Oswald claims, so fine. We know some of the stuff about that. But with the King assassination, it seems like the conspiracy is, I don't want to say it's buried, but it just seems to be shoved aside because we have an assassin that seems to have a motive. We have an assassination that seems to be cut and dry in the way that it was performed. And we have uh, the simple fact that after James Earl Ray attempted to assassinate, well, after he assassinated Martin Luther King, he attempted to um, go on the run. He was extradited back from England. So we feel like the the story, the narrative is is closed on that. But you know who didn't feel that way? The King family. Mm -hmm. So we'll talk about that a little bit later on. And also on a little bit of a happier anniversary note, I put this out there earlier today, and it kind of bothered me that this icon of my youth, this great uh, pop culture symbol of the 1980s, people didn't know who he was. I changed my fo- <laughs> pr- my Facebook profile picture to him and everything, and, and people just don't understand who I'm talking about. But Max Headroom debuted 30 years ago today. That was the debut of the character of Max Headroom 20 minutes into the future, and th- that was the... You know, that was kind of the impetus for a lot of some of the computer-generated characters that came later on. And the dirty little secret about Max Headroom that people don't realize is he wasn't computer-generated. They didn't have the technology back then to be able to create Max Headroom the way that it was. So it was actually just Matt Frewer, the actor Matt Frewer, in a fiberglass suit. Like the, the, the suit that he wore that you could see on the screen, that was just made out of fiberglass and there was two halves to it that they would connect over him. Like one of your, like one of your crappy action figure battle costumes there, where it just like connected like the, the, the tab went into the hole. Yeah. And if you're watching on spooky TV right now, that's exactly what I'm talking about. If you don't have the, the sound up, I'm talking about like how action figure suits connected. That's what this, what this means. Right. <laughs> uh, anyway. So the uh, the two pieces would connect and then they would have like the plastic hair piece and everything else was all makeup and the natural angles of Matt Frewer's face is what made it look that way. Uh, so we'll talk a little bit about that as well because I think that that kind of put CGI and, and cyberpunk mentality into the mainstream in the 1980s when everything was very, you know, the uh, the technology was there. Technology was growing, but everything was very consumptive in the 80s. you know when, when Yeah, we,
1: there was a lot of consumption going on in the 80s.
0: But that, that was what it was. It was more about being the, the uh, consumerist that was buying all these toys than really knowing what to do with them. Like now, now we have uh, an infinite amount of technology these days, but people are, are f- figuring out what makes it work, and they're finding new ways to adapt it, and, and people are more technologically savvy. Back in the 80s, we were just kind of taking what you were giving us. You would give us our Apple 2E, and we'd put it at home on the table and you know we would just use it for what you told us the Apple 2E was supposed to be for. But there was this subculture of people that was saying, wait a minute, I think we can take this further. And I'm sure, Moniz, you knew a lot of these people back then. <laughs> but they were the ones that were kind of pushing the forefront of making us into the society that we are now, where people, now you buy a cell phone and they're like, well, here's your stock apps. Ah, oh, well, I'm going to root the phone because I want to be able to do more with it, you know, so – I think that we'll uh, we'll talk a little bit about that and the lasting impact of m- 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 Max Headroom later on. The And that'll be the last time I do the stutter, too, by the way. A couple of announcements to make, though. And I put this out earlier on social media. I, I can't believe this. We're almost at a sellout for our upcoming Legend Trip stage show, An Evening of Ghost Stories and New England Legends. It's happening May 22nd at the Blackstone River Theater in Cumberland, Rhode Island. We We really have, like... Less than you know, a couple of families' worth of tickets remaining. So you can pick yours up now for just fifteen dollars a piece by going to legendtrips.com. Don't wait for them to be at the door. Don't because I don't think there's going to be any at the door. But if somehow there is, there'll be twenty dollars. Uh, but absolutely, one hundred percent, you need to get your tickets in advance. If you would hope to attend that show, and also, of course, as we mentioned before, we are filming it for a PBS documentary. Uh, we met last week for the first meeting of the stage show to discuss what's going on and to discuss, like, what our vision is, whether what. Jeff's vision is and what the rest of us see it being and how it's all going to work together and now we're having our next meeting coming up this week so these are all being filmed as part of the documentary and you'll get to see the process but also if you come and be part of the show if you come and be in the audience you could be part of the PBS documentary as well so again just get those tickets uh, by going to legendtrips.com where you can also pick up tickets to our next great investigative event this is going to be a, a, a great trip out to western Massachusetts, out to the Berkshires, which we went a couple of years ago for the Houghton Mansion. Well, now we're heading out there to hit Ventford Hall, which is just an amazing location. We've got a fantastic history. You might have seen it in the film The Cider House Rules. Well, we're going to be there for Saturday night, June 13th, and you'll have the opportunity to investigate the entire Ventford Hall facility uh, with us, we'll have dinner, we'll have some lectures, we'll have a historical tour of the property, and hours of guided investigation with some of the great new tool, tools and toys in the paranormal. Uh, I know that Jeff will be bringing the, the new Kinect uh, system that he got from Bill Chapel. That will be there for people to try out and use. And uh, we may or may not have Ghost Ark yet. I have to find out more of the details about that because there's some some behind-the-scenes things with whether or not we can use them. Uh, so we'll find out about that. And uh, if you want to get tickets to that, those are only $99. And, again, we only announced this a couple of days ago. We put it out in pre-sale for our Legend Trippers past and, and those who have signed up to the mailing list. That's how you get exclusive access to these pre-sales. And we had a few days of pre-sale, and then only a few days of putting it on to the general public, and it's already a third of the way sold out. So jump on this now because that's another event. Once we get out there next weekend at Salem Con, I'll be there. Jeff Belanger will be there. We'll be talking about legend trips with people. We'll be having some postcards out. We'll be talking about what events we have coming up. Once the word starts to get out there through that, and then once we start showing some of these locations in the, in the stage show in, in an evening of Ghost Stories New England Legends, people are going to be jumping all over whatever tickets we have to any events that are out there. So if you want to get them before they're gone, you definitely have to go to legendtrips.com because with Legend Trips, of course, we raise money for these historic haunts and to date we have raised, does anybody want to take a guess how much we've raised so far?
1: 22000 I think you're
0: pretty much right on the mark there. $23,000. Over 23000 we have uh, raised so far for the preservation of historic locations where we hold our events. So, And that's all of you. That's not us. We're just getting you in the door. That's all of you that have helped raise that money. So thank you for that, and hopefully you will join us at these great upcoming events. I'm a little terrified about the stage show, though. <laughs> I'm excited, though, after the, having the meeting. I can tell you that uh, I, I want to be sitting in the front row watching the show because we've got... Jeff Belanger, Andrew Lake, Carl Johnson, and myself will be sharing stories. And now we're all experienced lecturers. We've all, we're all people that will get up there and give you a PowerPoint presentation on the history of a location or the, uh, you know, a how-to on paranormal investigation. We'll give you some theories. We'll give you all that stuff in our lectures. None of that. Is entering it Well, I mean, it may enter into that in terms of the narrative. But really, this is about getting back to the story. And this is about giving the story its due. And, of course, the photographs of Frank Grace, which will be the stars of this show. We're going to have those photographs front and center. And this is going to be like being taken on a journey across New England to some of these great haunts. And we were talking about this in the meeting. Frank has the ability, with a photograph, to basically tell the ghost story in an image which how difficult is it just for us to tell the ghost story in a few minutes of sharing it on stage, but his image, it has the impact and it has the power to tell that story. So all we really have to do is kind of fill in the edges around that. So w- when you see the picture that Frank Grace took of the Lizzie Boyd and Bed and Breakfast, for example, on the big screen in the Blackstone River Theater, you're going to say, wow, that is a haunted place. Let me know a little bit more. And so that's the idea of can't guarantee you that you're gonna be scared on the ride home, but I would just say you probably want to stick to the main roads and not take any of the back roads. So it should be a, should be a blast. Again, it's happening on May twenty second. Tickets are just fifteen dollars, and then our next investigative event is happening on June thirteenth. And everybody keeps asking, you know, what do you have planned? What do you have planned? We are trying to plan stuff for the rest of the year. We'll have everything there for your calendar, and you'll be able to decide exactly how you want to spend the rest of the year with Legend Trips, and we'll have it all out there for you soon. All right, we are going to take a break. When we come back on the other side, we'll be joined by some of the guys from the Tennessee Wraith Chasers to talk about the upcoming second season of Ghost Asylum. It's premiering tomorrow tomorrow on Destination America at 10 p.m. Eastern time. You don't want to miss it, and you don't want to miss, as we talk to the guys coming up here on Spooky South Coast on the new 1420 WBSM. Welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg with you, along with the Asylum Assassin, Matt Costa, and Science Advisor, Matt Moniz. And that music you hear playing, that is The Wraith by our friend DJ4AM. And we play that because we have joining us on the line, two members of the Tennessee Wraith Chasers. We have Brandon Smith and Chris Smith. You can see them both on Ghost Asylum Season 2, which premieres tomorrow night on Destination America. I think I just dropped right enough because I didn't lock him in first. Oh boy, you know, I'm I'm sure you guys are used to this by now, Chris, uh, having uh, incompetent radio people that hang up on you all the time.
2: (laughs) Actually, man, we're usually the incompetent ones.
0: (laughs) I don't know. I I, I can tell you that uh, having watched the first season of Ghost Asylum uh, and and seeing the way that you folks approached uh, investigation, you certainly have a different and a unique take on it
2: yeah absolutely man the way we like to say it is we take uh, the paranormal very seriously but we don't take ourselves too seriously
0: (laughs) well that's absolutely the way that you have to do it that's the way that we've always approached doing this radio show is you know it's seriously enough that people don't think you're goofing but if you take it too seriously they are they just think you're crazy and then they don't want to listen to anything that you say
2: absolutely man if you're too serious ain't nobody gonna want to hang out with you and we want to connect with people get on their level and we want them to watch the show and be like, "Hey, I'd love to go hang out with those guys." Not just, you know, we want to sit here
0: and watch these guys for an hour. And, and Brandon, I apologize for hanging up on you, uh, but uh, thank you for for calling back in. And I promise no that no, no no more technical issues the rest of the show. Fingers crossed. <laughs> so when when. Oh, yeah. When uh, the first season came out uh, last year, I mean, it was a, a runaway hit. I, just from the beginning, people were all over the show, and, and I know that the season finale was one of the highest-rated shows in the history of Destination America. So, so Brandon, that must feel pretty good for you guys to to know that people really like what it is that you do.
3: Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's just uh, to have that kind of support makes us feel real good.
0: And it's. we should clarify for people, too, that you guys have been doing this for a long time. I mean, yeah, this will be Season 2 of the show, but you had Ghostland Tennessee before that, and you guys have been part of, you know, Tennessee Race Chase has been going for a long time.
2: That's right, man. It's like uh, the great Devin Allen Co. said. I mean, it's been a long, hard ride. Uh, <laughs> we started out, well, I mean, we all started out in different, separate paths. We all had different paranormal experiences, and we were all kind of doing this on our own. And we've all known each other for, I mean, like my brother, I've known him his whole life. But, you know, even Doug and Porter and Tracy Ray, you know, we all grew up together. We just never knew that this all was a passion that we all shared until later on in life. And, you know, we just connected and hit it off. It's been a surprise for us as well, you know, the just the positive response and and all the awesome fans that we've selected.
0: Well, and, and Brandon, I know that your role is kind of the, the skeptical one on the team, but it also seems like a lot of the times you make very personal connections with some of these spirits. Have you had a lot of your skepticism changed by the investigations that you've done, both on and off camera?
3: You know, uh, I still, I mean, I still am pretty skeptical of like, a, you know, of certain events, of specific events that happen, you know. Um I have been a little more open to the ideas of... Uh, certain types of entities, you know. Um I have been seeing a few more things as of lately, but uh you'll find that out more when the season airs, but uh you know, certain entities I've been a little more open minded toward. But uh you know, as far as my general attitude toward this stuff, you, you always have to remain skeptical. And even the stuff I believe I see, like I see a lot of stuff out of the corner of my eye and you know, you have to factor in just uh, the psychology of your mind when you're in that situation and uh and I get feelings too when I walk into these places but you also have to think, Well, I'm going in with this uh predetermination, you know, I've been told that this place is haunted so that's affecting my psychology automatically, you know. So yeah, you kinda have to take that stuff into play, you know.
0: Yeah, and that's what's different about uh with Ghost Asylum is you're going into places, you know, it's not like dealing with somebody's personal haunting. It's not like dealing with somebody's home where they feel like they're uh you know, suffering some sort of paranormal affliction and I'm sure that you have taken on those cases off camera when you've needed to, but with Ghost Asylum, Chris, you guys are focusing on locations that have paranormal aside some really tragic stories attached to them.
2: Absolutely, man, the worst of the worst. I mean, uh, we like to go into these places because, like you said, there aren't any uh, personal, um, you know, there, there's nothing personal about it. I mean, nobody's living there. It's not inhabited. There aren't any of those personal connections, so we don't have to worry about stirring things up uh, per se. So to us, it's kind of like these first couple of seasons, we just want to go to these places to test out some of these experiments that we've always wanted to test, you know, in this field. We don't really know what these things are. I mean, some people look at us like some of the things that we do, you know, these traps or, you know, they're more like transportation devices. Uh, you know, they probably look at them and they're like, man, these guys are crazy. This, you know, this is nuts. You know, this is hokey and silly. But, I mean, if you think about it, the whole paranormal is unknown, so why not try these hokey things? You know, why not? I mean, whenever the first EVP came around, I'm sure they said the same thing, but now in the paranormal world it's streamlined.
0: Well, and and Brandon being skeptical, I mean, what what was your thought process when when the idea first came up? Let's try and catch a ghost. What was the first thing that you thought of? Uh, you know, being skeptical of the whole existence of them to begin with.
3: Well, you know, I like to also just say, you know, I'm, you know, as far as the the paranormal in general, you know, I'm a Christian man. You know, I believe that a person when they die they go to heaven or hell. But, uh, you know. As a paranormal as a whole, you know, I'm not skeptical of, you know, I believe in it, but, mm-hmm. you know, specific events, you know, I'm kind of skeptical of if they're paranormal or not, you know. And, and capturing a, a, an entity, you know, when it comes to that, you know, I kind of look at it in the terms of physics, you know. I mean, what we're trying to do, we're basically trying to capture what's called free-roaming energy. Let's imagine these ghosts as just like these energy entities that just, and we're trying to capture that electrical energy or that heat energy, and we're trying to keep it contained as long as we can. And that's kind of the basis of a lot of these traps, I believe.
0: So really, I mean, you're not expecting to be able to capture this thing and, and hold on to it and, and keep it for any given amount of time. You're just trying to uh, just momentarily lock it down during its existence out there and, and momentarily being able to capture it and take a closer look at it. Yeah, I mean- Although I will say, I, I find it very interesting that, uh, you know, you're doing this not with, uh, some of the, the most high-tech scientific equipment that you can find out there. You're trying to build these traps with everyday things that common paranormal investigators could, could try and duplicate if they wanted to. And is, is that more out of, uh, necessity or is that more just how you guys have always worked, Chris, to be able to, uh, you, you know, I, I don't want to say to, uh, you know, to rig things up. But really, that's what you're doing. You're just creating your own rigs rather than uh, investing, you know, mil- millions of dollars into equipment.
2: Absolutely, man. I mean, you know, your average paranormal investigator out there can't afford all this stuff. You know, we couldn't either. Uh, so we want to make it, you know, we want other people to try things. And we want to show them that, hey, you can do this stuff. You just got to, you know, do a, do a little bit of homework. And, you know, lot, we'd like to take a little bit of the old school stuff, some of the, you know, old beliefs, you know, sometimes we'll mix in a little old Native American stuff or, you know, some whatever from back in the day, and then we'll get Brandon to give us, the, you know, the physics part of it. We try to kind of put that together and see if, you know, we can get some responses out of it. So we want people to to feel like, you know, they can go out here to the hardware store and just use some, you know, everyday kind of scientific stuff, you know, put your, put your head in it and put your heart in it and, you know, be able to try to communicate with these things and maybe help them, whatever they are.
0: I I will say I was slightly impressed by being able to build a ghost trap out of a screen door because I can't even fix the screen door that is only to let living people into my house. So, I mean, I've, I haven't had a working handle on that thing in ten years. So the fact that you guys are using that to to build the trap and try to contain some of this energy is uh, is pretty interesting to me. Uh, I'll ask each of you. I mean, obviously, with this upcoming second season, you know, some of the locations have been revealed uh, in the pr- press releases that were out. There, we know that tomorrow, uh, the season premiere will take place at Rolling Hills Asylum in uh, East Bethany, New York. And I know that uh, there's some other locations that have been revealed uh, in, in terms of uh, investigating the Bell Witch Cave, Penhurst Asylum. Where is it out of the first season, and and what you filmed so far in the second season, uh, Brandon? That's your favorite location. Uh,
3: you know, um, I know, I mean, I guess uh, Penhurst is a pretty cool place. Uh, you know, um, I guess you know, of course, as you know. You, You'll probably have to watch the episode to really see it. But, you know, let's just say something really kind of interesting happened to me and Chasey in the hallway. It's, it's, we never had something like that happen before in front of our eyes. So uh, <laughs> you'll have to tune in and see exactly what it is. But Wow. pretty cool. At,
4: yeah.
0: at, and, uh, and that's one of the locations that I... Um that I worked. I, I'm just going to reveal a little bit here. I worked on the second half of the season as a as associate producer and researcher. So, I've investigated some of the ghost stories associated with the later episodes. And when I'm hearing these stories and hearing and, and, and when I'm collecting these stories, I'm thinking to myself. You now the TWC these are the guys are going to be able to put the human face on some of these cases what What just might be a legend to a lot of people you 're going to be able to kind of humanize that and and be able to share with people the emotion involved in that and, and Chris, is that something that is a conscious effort from you guys being on camera or is that just something of who you are as people and the chemistry that you have to, to tell the human side of these ghost stories? No
2: absolutely man it 's no wrong the hair that 's something that we really want to do. Um... Like my brother, I have a kind of a, a weird belief as a parental investigator. We're also Christians. Uh, we were born and raised missionary Baptists, so I don't necessarily believe that people are what we're talking to, but I do believe that their energy lingers. You know, it's a scientific fact. Energy never dies. It just changes forms. We as people are built up as energy. And, you know, as you were saying about the connections, uh, we went to St. Albans, and this place had a very tragic story. There was a young girl who was murdered, and her body was never found, uh, um, yet they caught, they, the killer, I think, I, I believe this is the way it went. He confessed, but they never could have any substantial evidence to prove it or something. And so, like, her body was never found, and we got some amazing responses when we were in there trying to connect with this girl. And it just goes to show you that there is something lingering that is intelligent, that, that wants to help us put the pieces together, and we also find that You'll, you'll find a lot of times in these asylums and prisons and things of this nature, you'll find these good spirits, but then there also seems to be some sort of battle or there's, like, some friction between a good spirit and a bad spirit maybe something's holding them back. And, you know, that's kind of what we had going on there and at a lot of these other places. So I definitely think that, you know, after people are gone and these mysteries are still hanging around, as we as paranormal investigators can try and further our knowledge of what actually happened.
0: And that case, the St. Albans case was fascinating to me because, as you mentioned, you know, the, this this young woman was killed and her body was never found. or she disappeared and they assumed she was killed. Her body was never found. And it, it's not like this is a story that happened in 1937 and there's a, a failure of the news media right. at the time to report on. This happened in the 1980s. and Absolutely. And still, it seems like somehow this case slipped through the cracks, almost like there was some sort of darker force kind of maneuvering everything over it.
2: Yeah, and there's still uh, there's still a uh, police officer, uh, Andy Wilburn, he, he's still working on this case, still today, man. He's still trying to get the pieces put together, and, you know, he's still really passionate about the case, even though it happened, you know, so long ago. But I'm telling you, man, we got some really cool responses uh, at that case. I can't give it away, but you're just going to have to watch the episode. But we were really hitting hard on that that young girl and what happened to her and we got some pretty phenomenal uh responses and you know we captured some great evidence that we'll be able to share you know with all the viewers out there and they're kind of going to be scratching their head afterwards like you know wow that just happened
0: and and i can tell you that uh i had the opportunity in in working with the show of being able to kind of review some of your process of investigation and i i heard some of your evp sessions and you make a very conscious effort, you know. Some people, when they go into these locations, will start yelling and screaming. Some people will start, you know, demanding answers. And you make a very conscious effort, like my co-host Matt Moniz does, to make a connection with these spirits as as people. And I know that you know Porter is very uh, strong in that, in in being able to look at the fact that you know, these were once upon a time people just like you and I, and we need to treat them as such. It, it seems like that overall respect is something that carries through in all that you guys do, whether it be the investigation or just working together as a team or even putting together this show.
2: Yeah, absolutely, man. We believe in the golden rule, you know, treat treat others as you'd like to be treated. And, you know, we try to do that, like you said, in every aspect of our life, even in the paranormal, because, like I said before, we don't know what these things are. I mean, in my mind, I still haven't figured it out. So until I do, you know, they're not all evil. They're not all demons. Uh so why not be respectful they they obviously seem to be intelligent they know what we're saying so i mean we need to give them that respect
0: and uh and brendan i know being kind of the inventor of the group and, and and being the one who helps with a lot of this bringing about all, a lot of this technology you guys are going to be using some new tech in season two what can people look forward to seeing Uh,
3: you know we're going to be using all kinds of <clears throat> new equipment you know uh there's one that's been uh really um pushed up there call it the ghost arc, you know it's uh Sure, you've seen it and heard about it on Twitter and Facebook. It's uh, it's it's brand new equipment that's never been used before by anyone. Um, it's still in the process of being made, from my understanding. It's uh, you know it's it's something that's uh, it's a little bit of everything in one. It's like a recorder and, and you know uh, EMF meter, temperature gauge. You know, uh, Chris even said in one tweet that it would replace a lot of my best uh, equipment. <laughs> um, of course, I always find new things to put in my vest, but, uh, you know, it's going to uh, help out with that and help clear out a lot of pockets in my vest because it's going to be a lot of equipment in one, basically. And, right. Well, you know, right.
2: uh, the only thing you're going to find in Brandon's vest is, like, five-hour energies, Red Bulls, and, like, treats.
0: Yeah, I was going to say. You... Snacks. Less EMF detectors, more candy bars, right? That's what yeah. those things are really made for. And, yeah. uh, well, we've been, we've been talking about the ghost arc for quite a while. Uh, here on the show, we had the developers on, on with us, and, uh, and, and we've been participating. We're going to actually be some of the beta testers out in the field for it. And uh, I know that you're going to be the first television program to use it. And I, I don't think, like you said, it's still in development, so you haven't had your hands on it yet. But I don't know, Brandon, have you heard the announcement that came out this week about the microphones that they're going to be using?
3: Uh no I haven't.
0: Uh, they? are focusing on infrasound, so okay, it's going to be really low frequency stuff, which is where a lot of the EVP has been coming through uh, over the years. So that's going to be very interesting to have that combined with you know being able to also run the ghost box and all that other stuff to be able to explore the infrasound realm. Uh, so that's and I really rad. some
2: that's of those rad, places we we've, we've used that a couple times. You know we used that at Canon. Uh, we go back to Cannon, uh this season to try and, you know, settle some scores. We break out a little infrasound, and then a couple other episodes we break out the infrasound. We've got some huge responses and some really clear EVPs out of infrasound, man. I think it's a really, you know, a really good thing for this because I don't know what it is about that frequency, or, you know, those low hertz or whatever, but you can really hear what they're saying clearly, and they seem to be able to more easily communicate with us.
0: And I can tell you too that some of the the episodes that I worked on, the the stories that I collected, they, it's still it's still resonating with me. I'm still thinking about them. I'm still, you know, passionate about the history of some of these places. And I I can't wait to see what you guys do when you get in there. Uh, Looking forward to what happens with tomorrow night with the season premiere. You know, Rolling Hills is a place that has been on other television shows and that a lot of people have had the chance to investigate themselves uh, through different events, paranormal events. But I think this will be a new take and a new approach to it that only you guys can do. So I'm really looking forward to seeing that and all of the episodes coming up this season. And hopefully everybody keeps tuning out and uh, tuning in and makes it a huge success. and, And season three will be on the horizon.
2: Well, thank you so much, man. We hope so. This is our passion. This is our dream. We have uh, I mean, we have so much fun doing it, you know, on the road and at these locations. You get to meet new people, see new places. And, you know, we're all about furthering the field but also enjoying the ride, man. So it's all about...
0: I also I, I I don't want to fail to mention either that you guys had uh, a, n- a new face working on the show this season too uh, a new person working uh, in the production side of things who brings a lot of paranormal experience to the show was that was it intimidating at all having Erin Ryder be involved
2: Oh uh, yeah man absolutely she's she's phenomenal I tell you what nobody works harder she you know she's very accommodating she you know anything we need like you know Ryder can we have this she's like okay I'm gonna check on it and like in two days she'll have it for us like sitting there. But uh, yeah, it was very intimidated at first because you know I watched Destination Truth, a lot of the guys did, and you know she was one of our idols, and you know we really love her a lot. She she works hard for us. She she gets in there and pounds the pavement, and she puts up with our our crap sometimes. So you know, big props <laughs> to her for sure.
0: Well, Ryder's one of the only people I know that sleeps less than I do. I would send like an email at two thirty, and she'd respond at two thirty-five. So it's uh, she's a beast yeah it's incredible and also you guys can't complain about some of these locations that you're going to when you're like oh man this place is really dilapidated is this, this is kind of dangerous for us to be going in there she'll be like did you see destination truth did you see some of the places i went to
2: <laughs> oh man dude we had that same conversation like it's really funny to me because some of the other guys sometimes they'll get a little prima donna and we'll be all talking and Ryder <laughs> will be there and they'll be like oh my god this place sucks or you know there's this this You know, it's so dilapidated. We're breathing in this stuff. Or you know, we gotta, you know, cross this little pond and get our shoes wet. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking about like Ryder in the Amazon or something, (laughs) like sleeping in a a hut, getting eaten by mosquitoes, and like, you know, parasailing into try to find Bigfoot or something. And I'm like, she just she doesn't say anything, but in my mind, I'm like thinking she's like, these guys are some freaking wimps
0: absolutely. All right, well, thank you so much guys for joining us and looking forward to talking to you uh, more uh, in-depth somewhere down the line and looking forward to the premiere of season 2 of Ghost Asylum tomorrow night on Destination America. Brandon Smith, Chris Smith, take care. Have a great night. Thanks, brother, you too. Thanks, man. Take care. And uh we will certainly be updating you with everything to do with Ghost Asylum going forward because again as I mentioned, you know, those those back Nine uh, back eight episodes of the show. Those are the ones that I worked on, so we'll we'll be able to kind of discuss those a little bit more in depth when that airs later on this year, but man, imagine that, imagine trying to come up with, Moniz, you've been doing this for a long time, paranormal investigation, and you've been just trying to document this energy as existing. Imagine trying to come up with ways to capture it. And again, they're not trying to hold a ghost, put it in a trap, put it in an ecto-containment unit, and telling people we can come and remove the ghost from your house. They're just trying to harness that energy in some way. And really what we do when we investigate is we're trying to at least harness that energy for us to experience it. They're just trying to go a little bit further and, and try and contain it for at least as fleeting of amount of time as they can do it.
1: Well, we wind up doing it all the time for other what we would call mundane reasons. The principles are the same. So what they're doing, at, you know, according to theory, should yield some results.
0: Is, and I don't know how much ghost asylum you've seen, but None. there's... Sorry. Well, that's, that's fine. There's uh, But there's... As I mentioned, there's a a, a home you know DIY uh, approach to it, a way that people would be able to replicate in the field themselves if they wanted to try it. Have you ever tried? in, in all of your years of paranormal, I know that you have in the lab, but in terms of uh, in paranormal investigation, have you ever tried to pull in something like that? Have you ever basically tied a key to a kite in a haunted location and tried to harness in oh, some oh
1: of that? Oh yeah, I've done a, I've done the you know the the jiggle this or jiggle that try and elicit a response and I've tried using you know car antennas with various other electrical fields to try and generate electricity and make make things appear and happen you know, it's, it, it's one of these things it's wide open so there's no reason why you know, it, it wouldn't work
0: and I, you know a lot of people that watch these paranormal shows they're looking for uh you know the the, the investigators just as important to them as the investigation themselves and and that's why sometimes we've you know come on and bash some of these shows, and why sometimes that we've come across some of these programs where, like, you know this just seems so forced." You know the the team camaraderie seems for you know there was one show, I don't even remember the name of it, but you could tell they just put a bunch of people together and said, "Okay, now you guys are all going to go out and investigate together like like they had probably just met that day when the cameras rolled and and you don 't get that sense with with Tennessee race chasers. you know that these guys have known each other their whole lives. You know that they have that brotherhood and and to me that is as a as a storyteller and as a person working on that side of things it's just as important to to tell their story as it is the story. Of the spirits, but they're not about that. Not with Ghost of Sound. They 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 kind of just want to tell the story of the location.
1: Well, like it or not, they're part of the story, being there doing the work. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, you go from observer to participant when when once you step across that line.
0: And they also have a, a healthy respect not only for one another, not only for the spirits, but they have a very strong spiritual basis. As you, as you heard Brandon mention, uh, you know they they are Christians, and and so they do they have the. I think they call it the fist bump to the big guy. They all give a little prayer before they go out and investigate together uh, in these locations. And, you know, a lot of people do that anyway when they investigate. A lot of people want to get together and have a little prayer. And I've actually heard people now doing it and referring to it as that. So maybe there's there's also that, that it becomes part of people's routine then. I don't see anything wrong with that. If people feel like they want to be protected going into a location, sure, why not? If it makes
1: them feel comfortable, sure.
0: And, and I know Matt, you don't have a TV, so you haven't. I don't, did you no. even, Have you even seen Ghost stalkers I, I have. Okay, all right. Through the miracle of YouTube, uh, Amazon. Yeah. What you paid yeah. for? It? I did. I owe I did. you. Some, I owe you some money. No, it's okay. <laughs> you shouldn't have I to get paid just to watch. Just That's
4: to watch my. No, you aren't obligated at all. I paid for uh, the first two episodes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I can tell you. And I'll, by you the way, we I acquired. We have about a minute left. <laughs> Yes. And we should probably let people know that on on April Fool's Day, you played a little trick on everybody. And oh and,
4: uh, uh, yeah, yeah, there. Uh, as far as I know, there is no Ghost Stalker season two.
0: It's it's still in discussion. Nothing has but, been decided yet. Right, it's,
4: right. But I I took it upon myself to kind of put it out there for uh, a little April Fool's gag. You
0: played on the emotions of the Stalker Society. Right. And
4: yes, I just. Uh, nobody clicked on it.
0: <laughs> well, I, because people saw the picture and they just started tweeting about it and talking I just, about I, it.
4: I was thinking that I did just a, too good of a job photoshopping that, apparently. It looked really official.
0: I can tell you, I was getting all types so. of congratulations and all types of people telling me, you know, oh, I'm so excited for you. I'm so but, glad season two is coming. Where but, are some of the locations <laughs> that you're going to? And
4: But it was a ruse. I apologize. A promise was made.
0: Well, and that promise was broken. So that's uh, we're kind of stuck with with that for right now, but we'll see. We're, we're trying to find out if we can make something happen uh, with Season 2. We'll let you know as soon as we do. But, of course, Season 2 of Ghost Asylum premieres tomorrow night on Destination America, 10 p.m. Eastern Time. Check it out. They'll be investigating Rolling Hills Asylum. We're going to take a break for the news, and when we come back on the other side, more Spooky South Coast on the new 1420 WBSN. Two of Spooky South Coast, Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin Matt Costa and science advisor Matt Moniz. Stephanie Burke is off tonight. We will hopefully, in a few weeks, have the entire Spooky crew together. for we should sure. at least,
4: like, get together and have dinner or something. I know.
0: Yeah. I, I, I feel like we're lost, not all being all together, right. you know. There was a couple weeks ago, we didn't have Matt. Mm-hmm. We had Moniz and myself. And then last week we didn't have Moniz, but we had Stephanie and myself and you. Right. Next, next week it won't be any of us. You'll be here yeah. listening to probably just me on tape.
4: If it wasn't for uh, Facebook Messenger and text messaging, uh, we, would never, we would never talk to each other. I know. Ever. It's, and it's weird Sad. because like, there's questions. We should all get Apple phones so we can FaceTime each other. All we you, can, uh, you and I, <laughs> all you got to do is step out on your front deck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but there's treason. Yeah, True
0: and and yeah and technology that you pay for you know but we uh, uh well we we could still talk with there's still uh, facetime type programs for android we could skype yeah we could but i just think that's kind of weird when like yeah, two weird. guys do that with each other
4: <laughs> yeah I mean, it's this, even weirder, weirder when uh, it, three guys let's just go on chat roulette yeah that'll and be that'll so be
0: so much so much better <laughs> and uh <laughs> Uh, well, uh, Greg, Greg Derosiers, who who does the news here on Saturday mornings, uh, has been, you know, I, I, we follow each other on Snapchat. And yeah. so there's always that little bit of uh hesitation moment. The first time you get a snap from another guy, you're like, what exactly am I going to see here? Right. You know, because Snapchat has a reputation. Mm-hmm. And at least in terms of mine, it's never lit up that reputation. I've never put out oh, a dirty moment.
4: Oh, but uh, pictures, pictures of food, I was guessing.
0: No, more like boob chat. Oh. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I don't use it for that. I may I take videos and I promote it and I put them out there as like a, a way to have people follow us. Right. You know, we're trying to be more social media active. So we try to find different ways of doing it. And, and that's why we, we tweet and you can follow along with us on Twitter at SpookySC. You can tweet about the show during the show using the hashtag Spooky Live. if you have any questions or comments or anything that you want to make. and. And, uh, and I want to thank everybody, by the way, who follows us on social media for taking part in my April Fool's Day contest there to see who could put out the funniest face. We had a lot of great entries. That's and I know one. that when you guys saw the, the, the post, you were like, he just promised a bumper sticker yeah. to whoever wins. We don't have any bumper stickers left. <laughs> but in the process of doing my spring cleaning at my house, I opened up my liquor cabinet just to show you how much i don't drink. I opened up my liquor cabinet and I found a big stack of spooky South Coast bumper stickers. In there. Nice. nice.
4: So we actually have some. I know. Sign them all.
0: People really want these things, and I am surprised. But you know, if they do, they do. And people were messaging me like, "Did I win? Did I win? Did I win it? Did I win? Did I win the bumper sticker?" So my plan is, I'm hoping to try and get out as many as I can to the people who submitted for the
4: contest hmm. on that day. Maybe we should get some more bumper stickers.
0: We probably should. Maybe. We need to maybe. generate income
4: before we start spending money, though. <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll talk about it after the show.
0: Like people maybe. are asking for TV shows, I'm like, we don't even I mean, TV shows. People are asking for T-shirts, I'm like, we don't even have any right now, mm-hmm. and, nor do we have the funds to order more. You know, we've been trying to get a, a, a trying to get Vinny to get on a, a pay for play type program here, but you know, he's right. got so many he's orders. Guy, yeah, too, he's so, so backed up all the time. But we'll see him next weekend at Celcom. I will. I don't know if you guys are. Come on. I know Matt. You were going to try and were you going to try and go to the South Coast touring Comic Show next weekend, um, which is might, also here. I might try to because I'm sure the station would love to have you get some audio and stuff too, that'd
3: so you a, could actually
0: technically count it as working. Uh, write it off. Yeah, talk to Jim Phillips about that. Yeah. See if you can count that as ours. Nice. And I don't know what your plans are, Moniz. I know a that you're UFO pretty packed. UFO conference,
1: UFO conference in New Jersey.
0: In New Jersey, whereabouts in New Jersey, if people want to go check it out.
1: Uh. Can't remember off the top of my head,
0: but I'm sure you know you can get the details out yeah, to I me, and I'll, I'll yeah. tweet it out and put it on Facebook, and so that way, there, if anybody's in the area and they want to go check it out, or if they want to travel down there,
1: yeah. Uh, Travis Walton's debuting his movie, uh, playing his new movie there. Travis and uh, Peter is going to be there. Yeah. You know. Well, Did,
4: sounds. Just sounds be careful like it, when you drive through New Jersey. Taking a train, it's nothing much trouble. Well, I'll have you, lucky. Drive. How do you like your dog? Oh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, you know what though if you happen to get picked up uh, by the local police and you end up in the same courtroom as Digital Underground worse things could happen <laughs> you know uh,
4: it, was a, it was a rolling stop at a stop sign that's how we got That's how it was? I don't know why I know so much about that movie
0: because <laughs> you love that movie <laughs> I do Taylor Negron rest in peace
4: oh. we actually we lost Taylor Negron a few weeks ago so
0: oh that's sad it is sad I can't remember who else... uh, I remember Demi Moore was one of the... Who was the other woman in that movie?
4: That I don't know. I don't know. I suppose we could look it up.
0: There's computers right there. Right.
4: But, eh.
0: Whatever. (laughs) It'll (laughs) dawn on us in the middle of the conversation as we talk about something else. Nobody
4: ever looks up any Chevy Chase movie. They just go by... You know like, how many times... <laughs> word, like, it's word of mouth. Everything's word of mouth. You know how
0: many times I've gotten confused in my head about like some of those early 80s Chevy Chase movies, like pre-National Lampoon's Vacation? I've got a pretty firm handle on his career after the first Vacation movie, okay. but it's everything before that, when it's like...
4: Was Funny Farm before? Funny
0: Farm was after. Okay. That's 1986,
4: I believe. Fletch, of course.
0: Yeah, and Fletch I'm cool with. Like During that whole post... you know the And Caddyshack stands out, but like... Um, Oh, he did what's it called? Uh, Under the Rainbow. Um
1: uh a movie where he was sprayed by toxic waste.
0: Yeah, what was what was that one? <laughs> the uh now I, Now I'm going to have to go to the internet.
4: <laughs> I, I don't remember what where he got sprayed with toxic. I remember uh
0: Memoirs of an Invisible Man. Yeah. Yeah. That was in in the 90s though. So that one, that one I had, but there was another one where he yeah, the one uh, is it modern times or something? Like, or or oh, geez.
4: I remember the premises. Modern of problems, or I don't know. Hang yeah. on, we'll we we'll, we'll Why talk. we need it? We need an intern to Google. Things. I know.
0: Where is our intern? We were supposed to have an intern. Um, from we from. Just, uh, we just
4: point in the corner and be like Googlebot, Google.
0: She said she was going to to come in and be an intern. We haven't heard from her. So uh, let's see here. Uh, well, uh, the uh, the modern problems. That was the one. Modern yeah. problems. Uh, but there were scenes Like Old Times with Goldie Hawn, Oh, Heavenly Dog. Like, oh. That was one that he was in that with Benji, wasn't he? Yes. Wasn't that it was a yes. Benji. Foul Play. Uh, these are all like the post Saturday Night Live movies. Uh, and then right after Modern Problems came out, National Lampoon's Vacation, and that was followed by Fletch and European Vacation. So, But then he was in the movie Deal of the Century. Uh, he had a cameo in Follow That Bird. He was in Spies Like Us, of course. Yeah. Three Amigos, The Couch Trip, Funny Farm. So these are like when you kind of Christmas Story, I mean uh, Christmas Vacation, La Story. These are when you have like more of an idea of of what he was doing at the time. But I'm just trying to see if there was like some other movies that uh, kind of uh, escaped us here. I never saw Snow Day. Uh, I forgot that it was in Orange County. I forgot most about Orange County. Um, There's uh, movies that I haven't heard of, like Bad Meat, Our Italian Husband, Vacuums, The Karate Dog, Goose on the Loose, <laughs> Funny Money.
4: These are all uh, Academy Award-winning films, Yeah, obviously.
0: So maybe he should uh, not be such a jerk to people as he is now. Although he did not look well during the Saturday Night Live 40th anniversary, that's for sure. Uh, we have a call on the line while we're rambling about Chevy Chase. And if you would like to call in, 508 996 Good evening, you're on Spooky South Coast Oh, sorry Hello, you're on the air Hello Hi, how are you?
5: Good, thanks, how are you?
0: We're doing well, spooktacular as we like to say
5: (laughs) Yeah. Um, With this being the uh, anniversary of uh, Martin Luther King's assassination um, First of all, I want to say God bless his soul Um, Second of all, um, I was just curious about um, the conversation that James Earl Ray had with his family And what was it that convinced them that he was not the assassin? Does anybody
0: know? Well, in all the stuff that I've researched on it, uh, when he, you know, he was never actually uh, firmly proven to be the sole person involved. He had always hinted at the, the fact there had been a conspiracy. So that doubt had been kind of in people's mind right from the beginning, in, in certain people's minds. And, and if you know anything about James Earl Ray as a criminal, he was a very incompetent criminal. If I remember the story correctly, this was a guy who once tried to rob a supermarket by having them lock the doors, thereby locking him in the supermarket. Right. Yeah. I think I heard you
5: mention that in uh, the morning show this morning. Yeah. So, uh, he, do you think they thought that the government set him up like they set Oswald up, which I feel they set Oswald up? They brought him so far and and just, you know, made him in the past, I do believe that.
0: Well, a lot of the idea of this, excuse me, being a, a conspiracy uh, came about from a, a guy named Lloyd Jowers in 1993. Uh, he was a white man from Memphis who appeared on ABC's Primetime Live, and he alleged that there was a conspiracy between the government, the mafia, and himself to assassinate King. And that while Ray was involved, he wasn't really the, he wasn't the trigger man, and he certainly wasn't the mastermind behind all of this. Now this was just a guy who had no credibility as far as the government was concerned, because otherwise, you know, why wasn't he ever you know, brought to justice for some of these claims he was making, uh, but it, it got to the point where the King family did file a civil case against Lloyd Jowers and other named co-conspirators for the wrongful death of Dr. King. So, even though they couldn't prove that he was involved criminally, uh, they did sue him uh, civilly for, I believe it was for a hundred dollars, was uh, what they were seeking for that. But the suit, the suit alleged government involvement, but no government officials or agencies were named or a party made to the suit. So there was no defense of evidence presented or refuted by the government. So the fact that they tried to incorporate the government into it, uh, it was just kind of a name only. They didn't really pursue going down that road.
1: And if I'm not mistaken, I believe King's family actually helped petition for James Earl Ray's uh, commutation of sentence.
0: They did. Well, what they did is because... Or for parole. What, no, what happened was is James Earl Ray never actually went to trial.
1: He pled guilty. He was forced to plead guilty because of certain things, if I recall.
0: Well, because if he didn't plead guilty and he went to a jury trial, he would have faced the death penalty. Right. So in order to avoid the death penalty, they had him plead not guilty. No, guilty. uh, I'm, I'm sorry, they had him plead guilty so that he could avoid the death penalty. So in doing so, he waived his right to a trial by jury, and he was later petitioning to have that trial. And so when the King family felt like maybe he wasn't involved in it, they were petitioning for him to have that trial. So that, and I don't even think it was a matter of thinking that he was innocent as much as it would be having a trial to get everything Due out process. there on the record. Right. Yeah.
5: So, Do you think that he was aware of what, what was going down?
0: Uh, James O'Reilly? Yeah, yeah. I think he had to have been involved because he was in the the, the boarding house room directly across from the Lorraine Motel, and his fingerprints were on the Game Master rifle that was used. Uh, so, I mean, he was involved. But he always pointed to the shadowy, mysterious figure named Raul. Raul, who he said was the the mastermind behind this, and he was the one that was directing him. And uh, from from what I remember, too, uh, James Earl Ray was uh, saying almost like he was being a CIA operative, and Raoul was his handler that Raul was somebody who was working for, not necessarily the CIA directly, but some sort of clandestine organization, and he was the one that was manipulating James Earl Ray, because what people don't realize either is James Earl Ray was a prison escapee at the time. Oh, wow. So it was easy for him to to fall victim to somebody who said, hey, I'm from the government, we're going to keep you from going back to prison, but you're going to do us this favor.
3: Okay.
0: Especially where he was kind of, he wasn't the brightest bulb you know in, in the box so it was easy to kind of manipulate him why,
5: why do you think they used him uh specifically why do you think they picked james over to be the uh patsy like Fossil?
0: well in what i know of his background he was uh he was a known criminal uh and he was a known bigoted
5: so thought, like you said he wasn't that smart so he could have um he could have um spilled the beans if he wanted to
0: Well, but he was also known to be a bigot and he was known to to have issues with Martin Luther King, so... Actually,
5: they they checked out his profile first, yeah. Yeah,
0: it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility that he would feel this way. And and he did have delusions of grandeur. He did think that he was, you know, much more of a criminal mastermind than he really was. So it's not like Oswald, where, you know, they set him up, if you believe the stories, where they set him up right from the beginning and they created this history of him being against Kennedy, you know, having him hand out pamphlets in New Orleans. But it, it seems like this was something where uh, they they already had something to work with. I see. So okay,
5: thanks so much for the information. All right,
0: and thank you for the call.
5: Okay, bye bye.
0: And Moniz, we will explore this a, a little bit more because if you look at the, the story, if you look at all the fact they don't all add up. It doesn't Well add that's up
1: the to, whole point. That's what, what covert ops is all about. You mix a bunch of truth with a peppered with Lies at certain points.
0: Well, that's what I was going to ask you: is what, what parts of this stand out to you as as disinformation? What parts of this stand out to you as, you know, this is where they're trying to throw us a curveball? Because we know that uh, James Earl Ray was an inept criminal because that stuff yeah. happened and was on the record well before the assassination.
1: If I'm not mistaken, uh, that that day uh, he tried to make his getaway in a stolen Mustang that he had the, on the day of the assassination. assassination. Yes, yeah. a very Prominent, easy-to-recognize getaway vehicle. But
0: which he claimed was the vehicle that Raul provided for Correct. him and told him that he had to take that car.
1: Right. Just and like he had to use that rifle. And he had to uh, rent that room. Now, what you're doing is you're setting this guy all, all up, and that would be the perfect way to do it. You're predicating on this guy's desires. He doesn't like King. So what What I'm sure if... Um, if I remember correctly, reading the stuff this is going back in the early '90s when I started reading about this particular thing, what James O'Reilly was supposed to be doing was supposed to be keeping tabs on uh, King, his comings and goings, who he went in and out of the room with. That's what he was supposed to be there was, you know, basically spying and you know making reports of his comings and goings and the people. Uh, the rifle was only supposed to be. Sub- some sort of like defense uh, or if there was something that he got in order to take it and whatever and that was one of the reasons why supposedly his fingerprints were on the rifle because he was constantly having to move things around the apartment and that was one of the things that was in there so of course his fingerprints as he said would be on it because it was one of the objects in the room so, you know
0: well th- I mean there was enough Doubt in people's minds over the years, uh, to, to, I, I think part of it was because coming out of the 60s, people, and, and especially after Watergate, people didn't trust anything that the government was telling them. They botched the Warren Commission. Yes. That Warren Report is so full of holes that you have to be the, the, the blindest person, uh, in America in terms of being blind to the facts to buy the entire Warren Report cover to cover. And not find holes in the story. Not to at least recognize, okay, this might be where doubt enters into people's minds.
1: Like the clay shards? Hell, just
0: the magic bullet alone is enough to make people say, wait, well, well, come on. I can believe almost all of this except for this part. This is just a little bit too much. (laughs) So if you can create that doubt in people's minds, and then you can create whatever doubt you can create in their minds with the RFK assassination as well, it's not that impossible to believe that this third prominent figurehead of the 1960s you know, movement toward progression in society, this could be also part of that. Because it's almost like if there had to be a program in place to kill the Kennedys, that program would also have to want to claim Martin Luther King as one of its victims too.
1: Because... You're leaving out a, a third, well, other than Bobby Kennedy, there was a fourth one of that era that was also, quote-unquote, assassinated. That was very big in, you know, uh, the, the culture of uh, equal rights.
0: You're referring to Malcolm
1: X? Yes, I am.
0: But that would be, it, it's almost like that would be the, if this program existed that we're talking about, those that the, the the goals of that program would almost feed more into what Malcolm X was teaching. You know what I mean? Like,
1: no, I, I do understand, but they you,
0: would actually be probably more supportive of Malcolm X uh, behind the scenes. But
1: the problem is they couldn't control him. Yeah, well, just like they couldn't control these other individuals,
0: and, and that's that's what it all comes down to. Is really, it's uh, you had people that weren't going to play ball, people that weren't going to. Because if you go back and look, I don't want to. I don't want to say that Dwight Eisenhower wasn't his own man, but if you're going to be a company man for the United States, Dwight Eisenhower would fit that profile, wouldn't he?
1: Yet he was the only president that came out and said, watch out This all of this stuff coming down.
0: But he still seems like the, the, the you know, kind of he cared very much about keeping the status quo. He cared very much about keeping America on that path that it was on toward, toward the Camelot that Kennedy envisioned. And, and a lot of that Movement spreads back to the Eisenhower 50s. And look at how America was back then. It was before the the country had its collective innocence shattered. And then when it does, and you're in this giant state of mistrust, that's a perfect time to take advantage if you are a part of this program. And also, what else do you have? Well, you have the mafia. I, hey, I, I believe that the mafia could have had, had an involvement in the Kennedy assassination. Both Kennedys. They had every reason to go after the Kennedys. They're the guys that helped them get into the White House. Right. And then the first thing they do is they turn around and say, "Hey, we're going to take you guys apart systematically now, because God forbid everybody ever, ever anybody ever found out that you helped us get to this point. God forbid anybody ever found out the real truth about what our father did to amass his fortune."
1: So, what illegal bootlegging?
0: And and some of the other things that he got involved with, yes, but mostly the illegal bootlegging. We kind of knew, though, at that point. I say we. We weren't alive, but we kind of my great
1: my grandparents were. They were friends with them,
0: but and it was kind of common knowledge back then that the Kennedys were bootleggers. Yes, but some of the more involved criminal activities, I think, they were trying to keep under the rug, and they were trying to keep that Kennedy mystique, that American royalty mystique. And so, the first thing they're going to do is they're going to turn on the people that put them in office. Allegedly, fine. I understand why the mafia would get involved in that. I never really understood the mafia connection with Martin Luther King outside of unless it was kind of a systematic wiping out of that movement, that undercurrent of society. But I don't think that the the mafia gets away with that if the government isn't aware of the fact that they're going to do it. I don't think that the mafia gets away, because really, you would think that if somebody killed the President of the United States, then every single law enforcement agency in the United States would do everything within their power to make sure that that person was brought to justice and brought to justice correctly. And then if a piece of crap like the Warren Report came out, somebody besides Jim Garrison would stand up and say, hey, wait, this isn't right. And and, and we got the, was it, 1975, the House Select Committee on Assassinations. That's when some of this doubt really started to creep in about uh, James Earl Ray. He actually, I believe, if I remember right, he testified to uh, to the House Select Committee, and that's when he said, "Listen, uh, I, I didn't do this at all." Tried to get the 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 trial that he wanted to have to be able to present all this information, couldn't get it. Escaped from prison. He had a ninety nine year sentence, by the way, for killing for for pleading guilty to killing Martin Luther King. Escaped from prison, so they made it an even 100 Well, jail Yeah, <laughs> that'll teach him. But. Uh, <laughs> But then it's, it's these later years come, and, and we have Lloyd Jowers claiming that he is involved in this, which Lloyd Jowers' family claims, well, no, he was just promised $300,000 if he came up with a good story. He was trying to sell the book rights and all that stuff, and, and get himself booked into all these TV shows and, and, and make money for himself that way. But anyway, so all this doubt is creeping into people's minds, and that was enough to get the Kings, at least Dexter King, to say, you know, we do wanna we do want him to have his day in court because we want to have this information come out. And I don't think the Kings would have cared one way or another if the trial happened and the jury came down and said without a shadow of a doubt, we think that James O'Reilly acted alone and killed Martin Luther King, they'd be fine with that because at least then it's closed. And there's the answers. Yeah. Part of the problem too, with a lot of people we talked about this a little bit uh, on the Saturday morning show around Martin Luther King's birthday, but a lot of people don't remember the fact that the Kings don't really get along. They're not a big happy family, that's for sure. They have a lot of problems with each other. And there's a lot of issues uh, uh, with money. There's a lot of issues with the licensing of Martin Luther King Jr.'s image and the licensing of some of his speeches. So there's a lot of problems within the family that i think have kind of also prevented some of these answers coming out too but i don't know i mean just with what we've discussed and what we've talked about Moniz, what do you think i mean what was it james O'Reilly acting alone was there a conspiracy do you believe this raul story do you believe lloyd Jowers?
1: i do believe that he was not working alone he had to have had some help i mean what number one what is he really going to get out of doing this alone? You know?
4: I
0: mean, one more dead, you know, the way that he viewed black people is, is really, that was the defense. Uh, that, that, I mean, that was the, uh, the the case against him. You know, just one more dead black person.
1: Well, uh, I mean, you're going to give up the rest of your freedom just for that? Uh, I, I understand extremism that, you know, some people aren't thinking clearly, and and... Unfortunately, hate is something that humanity's dealt with all its existence, mm-hmm. and it's not going to go away. Uh, no matter what kind of rules and laws you can try and put about it, it's not going to change because human nature is human nature. Um, but I think there was far more to what had gone on. You got to look at who benefited by having Martin Luther King dead. All right. That's where you really should start looking.
0: Well, and that's how it is with pretty much any of these cases. Who benefits? Who ends up better off in the long run? Uh, and, I mean, a lot of people look at the Kennedy assassination, JFK, and they say, well, who benefited from that? Well, nobody benefited more than Lyndon Johnson, who, by the way, was not Kennedy's friend. Correct. Who was not uh, somebody who shared the same views as Kennedy. In fact, they were opponents. Correct. Uh, they were both running for the Democratic ticket, and back then... It, wasn't com- it was very common for the running mate to be the other person that you had defeated primaries in primaries yeah. to try and connect. Because it wasn't as easy as it is now where everybody can tune into television or the Internet or what have you and find out everything about every candidate from all over the place. They needed Johnson to bring in the South, which was opposed to a Roman Catholic guy from Massachusetts being president. So they needed that southern block, and so that's why they brought in Johnson. And just so happens that John F. Kennedy's assassinated in Johnson's home state.
1: And several other factors that went along with that, yeah.
0: And 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 so it just seems like there's always been that doubt in my mind that he had to have been, excuse me, involved in it somehow. But and with RFK, you know, you look at the climate of then and the climate of that, and 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 the same idea, the same threat that you're going to get jfk and then some by having bobby kennedy come in because now not only are you getting the kennedy belief system and the kennedy approach into the oval office but now you're taking into it also i mean just imagine if bobby kennedy had been president imagine how much of a we're talking about the america of the 1960s now too imagine how much of a of a free pass he would have gotten to pretty much do whatever he wanted because not only is he a Kennedy, but now he's got the sympathy factor on his side because a lot of people felt like it should have been a natural progression from Jack to Bobby. And and so you've got this carte blanche to kind of put in whatever programs and, and anything else you want to have happen. So the other side probably looked at that as saying, holy crap, the last thing we can do is let him come into office. Sure, we could let a Democrat win, but it can't be somebody named Kennedy.
1: No, I'm, I understand. So, uh, but I don't know. What was going on right at the time when Martin Luther King was killed? What was the hot topic?
0: Uh, well, what was it?
1: Well, it had mainly to do with the Vietnam War. And one of the things that, if, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but Martin Luther King was uh, ardently trying to get people of color to not be involved with the war because they were on larger... Larger numbers being put into the more hairier situations, which happens in a lot of different wars. But that was, but he was actively talking about having uh, people burn their draft cards and not, you know, report and things like that. And that was messing with what the the agenda was at that time.
0: One of the primary factors, I think, in Well, one of the things that need to be explored, I think, a little bit is why he was there at the time. You know, why he was in Memphis at the time. What was going on? He was there, you know, to give a speech, and he was there because of the the, the boycott. Uh, Was it the sanitation workers' boycott?
1: A trash collector's... Yeah,
0: So, and he's meeting with Reverend Abernathy. He's meeting with Jesse Jackson. These, These are the people who were around him and supporting them. And I think there was the false image... That they were planning something, some sort of civil unrest, with the three of them meeting together at the at the Lorraine Motel, and I think that that is one of the things that they feel was a contributing factor. Though they being those who push the, the single lone gunman you know theory, mm-hmm. is that you know whatever James O'Reilly looked at them as being troublemakers, that were kind of trying to cause some trouble that was going to have negative repercussions on the whites in the area. If that was true, I would have thought that you would have more of a clan presence at that time. You would have had more coming out of the clan. Instead, the clan are like, "Whoa, whoa! We had nothing to do with this." You know, they were immediately washing their hands of of what happened. So I, I just think it's very interesting that some of the narratives that they put into this don't always add up to what should have been the climate of the time. But we're never really going to know.
1: No, because.
0: All of the folks that were involved in this are gone. Uh, they know, we never did get the trial. They did test the rifle. I remember when I was taking Dr. Melanson's course. That's when all the news had come out about the rifle being tested, and DNA and all that stuff. And uh, and and I remember even then, if I remember correctly, everything proved inconclusive. Still, so they're almost saying that it wouldn't you know it wouldn't have mattered if in 1970 something he had a trial. It wouldn't have mattered if in 1980 or 1990 something he had a trial. You know, it's still, they would have been able to, to not change the outcome of what happened. So, it's going to be one of those questions that we will always ask. And, and, uh, and again, I'm sure it's something that we can revisit somewhere down the line. I was talking with Greg this morning. He said that there is still someone that teaches the political assassinations course, but it's not offered every semester like it used to be. Uh, so, he's going to try and find out who that person is, and we'll make a connection and then hopefully bring that person on board somewhere down the line. I know that we'll be coming up uh, in June on the RFK assassination anniversary, and we, we probably should. We have not done an entire show on that yet. We probably should, especially considering UMass Dartmouth houses the RFK archives. Yes. And all of the archives related to the assassination are there as well. So,
1: I remember talking to uh, Dr. Melanson years ago, and a uh, very knowledgeable guy, and you're right. All of the material is there. All we got to do is just go down and look at it.
0: I mean, there's a book called Who Killed... Martin Luther King, and he's the one that wrote it. So unfortunately, he's no longer with us to share, but uh, somebody has picked up that course in his deed and will hopefully join us somewhere down the line. Now, I do want to shift gears just a little bit, and I know that it's tough to go to talk talk about something as serious as the Martin Luther King assassination, to go to something frivolous like Max Headroom, but today is also the 30th anniversary of Max Headroom, and I, I wonder if... I mean, I, I learned of Max Headroom through uh, the the Coke commercials and through the pop culture aspect of him. Moniz, you're a little bit older than us. I don't know. Did you have a chance in the '80s to see the television show and what they were doing with it? Oh yeah. So you know that it was kind of it, it was kind of like a thumb in the eye to television networks.
1: It, that's exa- then. That's exactly why I liked it because it it thought outside the box. So
0: we're looking at him, Matt and I, being you know a little bit younger kids. We're looking at Max Headroom as being this <laughs> this figurehead of you know 1980s excess. You know he's 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 everything that the 80s are all about. He wears flashy suits and Ray Ban sunglasses. He has his hair slicked back. Uh, you know he's in front of this neon background and and he's just about everything that we wanted to be about as 80s kids. But you're watching the television show, which is kind of like saying, well, this is what happens when you give in to that lifestyle. This is like the warning of that. Uh, This is what can happen when there's a dystopian future 20 minutes into the future. And do you feel like, as somebody who is watching the show and then seeing the pop culture side of Max Headroom, how did that sit in your mind? Did you think that that was kind of weird to be using this character to promote promote a soft drink or did you kind of think it was like a very tongue-in-cheek way of
1: well that's what i liked about max max was well the character Mm -hmm. was all about you know wake up people you're being led by the nose right and that's as you guys know me in the 80s culture i would be one of the people that would be one of the um the rebels. I didn't, I, I wasn't about all of the, uh, the fashion and, right. you know, the pop and this and that. And I, uh, you know, closer to a punk style type of attitude. And uh, uh, that's what I liked about it because he railed against it. You know, you're all being led. You're all being little cookie cutters. You know, pay attention. You know, you're being, you know, led by the nose. And that's what I liked about the show, because all of the TV shows were all cookie-cutter, you know, all happiness and rainbows. Yeah, and they were all three-camera sitcoms. Yeah. And
0: and, uh, and then, in, you know, during the commercial break, he signed you to buy new Coke. Yeah. Which, by the way, even Max Hedrum couldn't save new Coke.
1: Nobody could.
0: <laughs> it just wasn't that good. What, what's funny is, you know, looking back on it, too, I I, I remember, you know, the... The Pepsi Challenge. I remember the the cola wars. I remember all that stuff, and 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 I remember thinking, I, did I did I remember Coke being that different back then, when they came out with new Coke? Did I remember it being that different? And I remembered for a very brief period, I actually like transitioned over to Pepsi. That's how bad new Coke new Coke was. But I, not that I'm totally against Pepsi, but it's grown on me a little bit more than it had in the past. But oh my god, I still remember. It was 19 maybe 1990 91, maybe or maybe it was the 80s it was probably the late 80s when they actually yeah 88 when they were actually out doing the the Pepsi challenge okay remember that joke by the way your mom was so stupid she took the Pepsi challenge and chose Jeff <laughs> <laughs> but anyway i was at i was at rocky point taking the Pepsi challenge they had the booth set up there they wanted people to come and take the Pepsi Challenge. If you remember, they handed you the paper cup, yep. and you couldn't tell what soda it was, and you had to drink it. And you had to tell them which one you liked better, and then they would lift up the cardboard and show you which one you liked better. And I picked Coke every time. And it drove the guy crazy that I had never picked the Pepsi, no matter what he did. I always picked the Coke. I was like, I can tell the difference. There's a difference, and I can tell the difference. And and, and he was getting very pissed. So finally, I was like, the only reason I keep coming over here is because I'm getting free soda. <laughs> Like, I don't have to go pay an exorbitant, I don't know, what was it, $3 for soda back then. Holy crap, $3? Are you kidding me? Highway robbery.
1: <laughs> so, uh, so you could save the money for more clam cakes.
0: Oh, clam cakes. So good. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, thats I, I remember that as being a standout thing. And then I remember the other story, and I think I've told you this story before, Matt Koss. I don't know if yep. I've told it on yeah. the air. I think I did. When we, talk, we talked about that Max Headroom pirate broadcast, uh, but I think I might have brought this up. I remember going to, in Kingston, they used to have the Kingston Carnival every year. And we went to the carnival, and they had a big Coke truck. And they had all the Coca-Cola products and all the merchandise and all that stuff. And at the very back end of the truck was a gigantic television screen with Max Headroom on it. And as you walk by, he's talking. So I was fascinated by the fact that he's talking. And I was in my Max Headroom t-shirt, which I loved. It was an orange shirt. And, uh, and, and it had Max Headroom on it. And I'm standing there just like watching it. And then he turns and he looks at me and he's like, hey, you, n- 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 nice shirt. And I was like, holy crap! He could, I felt just like the kids in the commercials. Like, he can see us! <laughs> he can see me! And, uh, it, it kind of blew my mind. And it never would have occurred to me that, like, there was somebody sitting behind it that was like typing in what to have him say, yeah. or or that it could have just been pre-recorded for anybody that walked by, and it just was a coincidence that I was wearing a Max Headroom shirt staring <laughs> at it. None of that stuff entered into my mind. As far as I was concerned, Max Headroom was as real to me at that point as Alf. You know, they were both like they were my '80s heroes, and I, I don't think that it surprises anybody to listen to me now and to hear me say two of the biggest influences on my life were Max Headroom and Alf. They're like, yep, that makes sense. <laughs> that explains why he's both short and hairy and a smartass. So. The other, the other uh, big influence in my life was uh, Mac Tonight, which is why I eat a lot of uh, McDonald's. Do you remember Mac Tonight?
4: Uh, vaguely. I vaguely do. It,
0: <laughs> I don't think you can vaguely remember Mac Tonight. You either didn't know who he was or you had terrifying nightmares about him. <laughs> Cause, do you remember Mac Tonight?
1: Sounds familiar. He
0: was this gigantic moon-headed guy that would play the piano in a tuxedo, singing about McDonald's.
1: Yes, yeah. Now I remember.
0: Terrifying, it. Yes. but awesome at the same time. I mean, I loved him during the day, but sometimes at night, I would close my eyes and try to go to bed, and I'd hear the TV in the living room, and I'd hear him sing, "Where the clock strikes half past six, time to head for golden lights." And I'd pull my covers up on my head. Please don't let Mac tonight come into my head and eat, come into my house and eat me.
1: Well, I had I had problems going back to old eighties kitschy stuff. Yeah, I there's
0: think. so much more we could get into.
1: All right, do you remember the Glidian?
0: No, what
1: was that? Levi's commercial. Okay, it was like a dinosaur-like creature. You can Google it. The Glidian, like yeah. like
0: paint, like
1: yeah, similar to that. It it was just one of their. Kitty things that they would use to sell jeans. It was the early 80s. Yeah. Let me see if
0: I can find this. Uh, Levi's character, 80s. Because I, I typed in this, the other thing it didn't come up. Uh, I don't see anything.
1: All right.
0: Uh, one of our friends from, from the ham, Matt, recently posted a picture of Captain EO. Michael Jackson's Captain EO holding those little creatures. Remember oh, the, yeah. those little creatures? And they sold. I guess they sold the stuffed ones at at Disney World, and everybody was all about those. Uh, what stands out to you, Matt Kosta, as, as an '80s marketing character?
4: Oh, I don't know. I always. Uh, I mean, I don't know those McDonald's commercials with the Ronald McDonald and like the uh, like the fry guys and. All the characters from McDonald's that they don't really have anymore. Like Birdie. Right, yeah. Some of them really fell by the wayside, you know, like some of them stuck Mayor, around for a couple of years. Maybe
0: McCheese. McCheese really fell off the map.
4: Nobody talks about him anymore. No.
0: I mean I still vote for him every election, but <laughs> every just everybody else. Like the fr- like right. if you went to like one of those old McDonald's playlands and they had the fry guys that you could ride on, you know, the ones that like you know, you sat on them and they rocked back and forth. Yep. You would look at them and be like, What what is that? That's a fry guy. Well what the hell is that a fry guy? If I found a blurt, a furry blue thing in my fries, I'd throw them away. Right, or at least complain to the manager. Uh, but I think the McDonald's characters died off when they introduced the McNuggets in the little box. Oh, like they, I think that's when they kind of jumped the shark in terms of McDonald's characters.
4: Yeah, that's kind of freaky because you ate those. Right. And ate eyes.
0: Mm-hmm. The other things weren't things that you ate.
4: Right. I mean, mayhem well, and cheese, but maybe you weren't. fries, but the fries you just that's just like their hair. I don't
0: know. I, I should probably look this up, <laughs> but I, I would love to know the origin of Birdie. I think she came about with McDonald's breakfast. Yeah. But still, there's actually going to be a movie coming out next year, called The Founder, in which Michael Keaton will play Ray Kroc, uh, and they're going to tell the story about how he basically stole McDonald's from the McDonald brothers. Okay. So, that should I, be pretty uh, pretty interesting.
4: I heard that the origin of uh, grimace was that they used to put a gumdrop in the Happy Meals. Oh, really? And that was that was the toy, and that uh, they built so disgusting the great So he's supposed to be a gumdrop. gumdrop. So I don't I don't know if that's true or not. I would, That's the best
0: explanation I've ever heard.
1: Or if we're going to be going down that road, you know, food stuff, how about the Noid?
0: I was just thinking the Noid. The Noid actually was... uh, And the
4: 7-Up Spot, both video games.
0: But the Spot, I think, was kind of a forced thing. Mm -hmm. You know, like, the Noid kind of was kind of an unexpected success. Yeah, you
4: couldn't avoid... Right.
0: And I I think like people weren't expecting the noid to become this big thing. It just did. It was organic. I always felt the spot was being pushed on us. Yeah. Like the California Raisins. They were they were like it was very organic at first, the California raisins, but then they really started jamming them down your throat when they had like California raisins like cassette tapes. Right. Which was really just a bunch of like no name people singing cover songs of classic 60s hits
4: I think I thought they were real I thought they were real good. I,
0: th- I might have too because I know I had I the did, cassette
4: yeah I had a couple remember the same on my Walkman yeah.
0: <laughs> you know and that's how I got exposed to a lot of the great 60s songs was by hearing them as performed by the California Raisins
4: and they had a, they had a Saturday morning was it a cartoon or a claymation or
0: yeah they did they had a Saturday morning show yeah. well they actually gave them like a holiday special Okay. because when I'm thinking Christmas I'm thinking raisins right yeah so they gave him a holiday special, and that led to them having a regular Saturday morning cartoon. But I mean, it wasn't always just like like created mascot characters. Sometimes it was like real life people, kind of sort of. I mean, who can forget Ernest? Oh, right. Ernest people. A lot of people don't realize that when they're watching Ernest Goes to Camp, Ernest Saves Christmas, and all that, they don't realize that Ernest actually started off as a pitch man in commercials. Correct. Right. And uh, was it was it um,
4: Zuzu Joe Zuzu? The well, I know Josie. <laughs> the uh,
0: but I think uh, I think it was Christie's was who originally hired uh, uh, Ernest. Ernest P. Worrell. <laughs> yep. And 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 with this whole Hey Vern, I always wanted Vern to like step out from behind, you know, and like show himself on camera. But and that show, by the way, if you if you go back and watch Hey Vern, it's Ernest. It's yep. still brilliant, <laughs> all these years later. it's Still brilliant, brilliant. Uh, but yeah, the, there was Joe Isuzu, um
1: Bartles and James,
0: which he was played by David Leisure, who was actually, you know, at that time probably best known for playing one of the Harry Krishnas in Airport, yep. uh, airplane. I mean, airplane. I but then he went on to be on Empty Nest and everything. Uh, who were some of the other really good characters?
1: Like well, you said, Bartles and James. Those two old...
0: Were those characters, or were those were those? No, the I believe people?
1: they were characters, yes.
0: And uh, the Pepperidge Farms guy, of course. Matt, you want to say it?
1: Because <laughs> <laughs> Pepperidge Farm remembers.
0: <laughs> Adam says that all the time. My son is 10, and he says that all the time. Uh, from Family Guy, more than anything. Uh, trying to think of some of these... Uh, well, let's we'll do a little Google search here and see what else we can come up with. See where the talk descends to when we...
1: Yeah, we're right. left to our own devices.
0: Kool-Aid man, but I mean, I think he came about well before that. Oh,
1: he 60s.
0: Let's see. Uh, I'm, I'm looking here. Uh, advertising pitchman in the 1980s. I just want to see pictures. I don't want to have, like, whole stories about their backgrounds and all that stuff.
4: Spuds McKenzie.
0: Spuds! Spuds uh, McKenzie! What yes. a great great call there. So, yeah, we had we had Joe Isuzu. We had Bartles and James. Uh, Ernest P. Worrell. See oh Bill Bixby for Radio Shack, <laughs> oh, yeah, Paul Hogan doing the Fosters commercials, commercials, yeah crocodile yeah. that's how he ended up. He originally did promotional things for Australia, and that's how crocodile Dundee came about
4: that reminds me of the uh the Cheerios Hulk Hogan commercial,
0: yeah, <laughs> uh, what about John Machado jr, the micro machines man yep once once yep. my right? goal in life to talk faster than John Machado jr, but never came about uh let's see. Uh, Jack Black did a commercial for Pitfall.
1: Yeah, when he was a kid.
0: That's that's pretty uh, pretty interesting. There. See, see, this is what happens. We're going to go down this rabbit hole. We're not getting out of here <laughs> now until like two a.m. because uh, we're just going to be going over all these old commercials. But uh, let's see the the ten creepiest product mascots. Well, they they list the as one of those. I don't know if I would call the Noid creepy. I actually think that he's a a pretty decent character. I want to start at the beginning of this list here. If anybody wants to call in with any uh, creepy or or memorable uh, pitchmen characters, Mm -hmm. you can give us a call, 508-996-0500, 877-996-1420. See, the show started off really good, talking about Ghost Asylum, and then we talked about the Martin Luther King assassination, and then we talked about Max Headroom, and now we've lost some of that, you know air of intelligence, and now we're just talking about TV commercials. But uh, the Dairy Queen Lips, does anybody remember those? Yep. I don't really was, remember that. Was the
4: Energizer Bunny, was that 80s or 90s? That's 90s. 90s. I be, oh. Yeah,
0: that's that's 90s. The Michelin Man, let's see, the world's first one on McDonald's. Well, I mean, I'm pretty sure that he ended up buying a van and parking outside yeah. the play place. Actually,
1: uh, I think the original was arrested for certain things, wasn't he?
0: No, I think the original was uh, was uh Willard Scott. The guy
1: that, no, the guy that played him on the commercials.
0: No, the original first Ronald McDonald was Willard Scott, the Today Show weatherman. He was the yep. first Ronald McDonald. It even says it here. He was the first now known as the guy with the Smucker's Jar. I don't know what that's about. I don't see Smucker's commercials. No, so, because
4: he, always, I think, on the Today Show. Oh, it? did he? He always promoted Smucker's. Oh, oh. It was after he wished like the old people uh, a happy 180th birthday or whatever. Because I, I don't think have I, some smuckers.
0: I don't think I've seen a. Uh, I think the last um, jam or jelly commercial I saw was, "Will you please pass the jelly?" <laughs> uh, so that shows you how much. Uh, like let's
4: see. You don't really need advertising with jelly or jam. It kind of right, sells, it sells itself. itself. Yes. Like it's, it's like bacon. They're all the same. They just taste like sugar and. It's a little bit of fruit. Right. It's, right. The,
0: it's the pectin yeah. that brings you right. back right. every time. The pectin. <laughs> the pectin. Oh, uh, let's see. The Kool-Aid Man. I never really felt yeah. like the Kool-Aid Man was creepy. I thought he was pretty awesome, especially in the 80s when he got the high tops and the, you know. By the way, the, I
4: now stay away from raspberry preserves. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> we we had um, we had uh, uh, one of the Mountain Dews that has artificial, um, the artificial flavoring in it and Jen That's like, all of them. Jen was like, don't you, tell him, don't you tell him where that comes from. Don't you tell him about the beaver ass.
1: <laughs> oh, Colossum.
0: The Noid is number five. The Hamburglar is number four. I don't think that the, the hamburger was ever creepy.
1: Uh, did you ever see the original? No. Okay, look up original Hamburglar. He was a uh, scary looking... It It was not like this little kid looking thing.
0: <laughs> oh this guy here?
1: I I'm not sure if I can see him. Very creepy looking sinister. He was definitely Oh,
0: I can't I can't wait for things to load up. Yeah, he does definitely does look a little creepier.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh the but you know, the the one that we came to know in the eighties, he didn't he didn't seem like he was that bad of a guy. He just seemed like a big kid. Uh Jack from Jack in the Box.
4: He is creepy. The,
0: the only person I ever knew that liked Jack was uh, is Todd Sheets. Yeah. That's just his insane love of Jack in the Box. Uh, oh, yeah, the Quiznos, what are they, Spong Monkeys, Spong, you know, those really weird Quiznos things? Yeah. The, yeah, those are creepy. And number one, the Burger King King.
1: But that's more modern. No, that right. was in the that's, 80s. Yeah,
0: that's the right. modern king. Not the 70s cartoon king that they used to put on the bibs used to, even though you were like 12 years old, you still put on the bib when you went in there and put on the crown and acted like a goof.
4: But um, by the way, were we not to keep going back to McDonald's? But um, were we talking about the McDonald's cookies? McDonaldland cookies, yeah. Yeah, yeah we and how delicious nasty. they were. Yes. Yes. All right. Yes, definitely. Never had them, right? I forgot that they had different boxes. You had the yeah. original chocolate chip, you had yep. the hamburger, the Ronald McDonald, and the Grimace one. I don't know if they were different or if they were the same.
0: And since we only have two minutes left, and I wanted to come and bust down the door here at WBSM and take to the airwaves about this earlier, but because we only have two minutes left, I'll do it. I am outraged by the fact that the Fairhaven Taco Bell no longer has breakfast. Really? Yes. I went over there with the intent of trying the biscuit taco. Right. I was really excited for that one. Because they, you know, they got rid of the waffle taco. I wanted to try the biscuit taco. I went over there this morning to get some breakfast. I saw that all they had on the breakfast menu was the AM Crunch Wrap and the Grande Scrambler. And I was like, whatever. I'm here. I'm hungry. Let me just get an AM Crunch Wrap. So I ordered a sausage AM Crunch Wrap. And they told me, oh, I'm sorry. We don't serve breakfast here anymore. New, Be- New Bedford and Dartmouth yeah. have it. But not Fairhaven.
4: It's like closing for Florida.
0: <laughs> I just, I don't understand it. You've been promoting this for weeks, this this biscuit taco, and, and why all of a sudden now I'm here for it, you don't have it. Can you just make me one anyway? Do you not have the ingredients?
4: I'm going to tweet Taco Bell right now.
0: Tell them that you're outraged? Yep. Well, now we've taken it to the airwaves, so now it's a movement.
4: Yes, Taco Bell is very all over Twitter, so.
0: Hashtag bring back the bell. Bring back Bell breakfast. Hashtag bring back Bell breakfast at the Fairhaven location. Right now, all the kids at work, they were listening, and they're like, screw you guys, we're tired of coming in here at 6 o'clock on a Saturday morning. You know how much nicer it was when all we had to do was come in and make burritos? (laughs) They're like, come on, come on over at 930. We'll make you a sriracha quesadito, whatever whatever (laughs) those things are called. I don't know, but I'd love them. Speaking of which, it's time for the show to end. It's time for Moniz to go over and get his tacos. Sure. So uh, plan on him coming over there, Taco Bell, in just a moment. Uh next week again I'll be at Salem Salemcon. There's still some tickets available. If you go to MGH dot com, you can get your tickets to come out to Salem Con and uh of course the uh upcoming Saturday night will be a recorded version of Spooky South Coast, but we still will have a show for you as well. Then we'll be all back live. Well, some of us, whoever can make it, will be back live the following Saturday night with another great program. We'll be here all summer long. We won't be any preemptions uh, coming up this summer. So stay tuned for plenty of spooky fun. Until then, we want you all to stay spooktacular.